1: Message and data rates may apply. JPMorgan Chase Bank, NA member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, JPMorgan Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with Location Telematics.
0: This is Talk Easy. I'm San Francisco, so welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us in the middle of the week. As you know, we don't typically do these, but given the urgency of this conversation, I wanted to share this with you all today. Our guest is Dr. Ashish Chah. He's the dean of the School of Public Health at Brown University. You have likely also seen Jaw on your television screens as a regular contributor to MSNBC, CNN, PBS NewsHour, and Good Morning America. And if you are a listener of this show, you have heard him here in the past. In this most recent talk, I caught up with Jaw to discuss the rollout of the vaccines, the potential of dangerous variants, best mask practices, the Biden-Harris administration, and a whole lot more. It is always a pleasure to sit with an expert as level-headed and decent as Dr. Jha, and I'm grateful for his time and for his service. I hope this talk is as useful for you as it was for me. Thanks for being here, and I hope you're staying safe. A new year, and yet here we are once again, Dr. Ja,
2: Am I like number one of the list of number of recordings you've done with anybody? In my heart? Not in your heart. <laughs> <laughs> I, I dare not wish for that. I just mean purely numerically.
0: Purely numerically, yes. In my heart, maybe.
3: Oh, <laughs> It's wow. possible.
0: Wow. It's possible. If we can, why don't we start with what's kind of on everyone's mind right now, aside from vaccinations, which is the potential of this variant. Can we start by unpacking what you wrote yesterday? Sure, absolutely.
2: So we're all hearing about these variants, right? The UK variant, the South Africa variant, the Brazil variant. It's even been talked about an LA variant. And one of the things that I wanted to start with was remind people where these variants are coming from and where they're not coming from. We're not hearing about a Japan variant or a New Zealand variant because those places don't have big outbreaks. Variants arise when you have large outbreaks. And the reason variants arise is, you know, this virus that causes COVID-19, the virus makes a lot of mistakes when it's replicating itself. And most of those mistakes are no big whoop, as they say, like not a big deal but every once in a while a series of mistakes it'll make in replicating itself will give it an advantage which we'll might become more contagious or more lethal and that advantage happens it's by random chance and so we're seeing these variants in places that are having really large outbreaks south africa's had a pretty large outbreak uk's had a huge outbreak brazil's have an awful outbreak and america has had a pretty bad outbreak so the point i I made in this thread is that, you know, we're all really focused on getting Americans vaccinated. And I get that. I want Americans vaccinated. But what I'm very worried about is heading towards a world where let's say America is vaccinated, but Brazil is not. And then you see big outbreaks in Brazil that gives rise to a variant in Brazil that is resistant to our vaccines. And all of a sudden, we're all sitting ducks again. We're all vulnerable to a variant after we've gotten vaccinated and we're back in lockdown. And you can see how we could end up getting into this endless pandemic where we come out of it and then we have to go back into it. And the way out of this whole madness is to get the entire global pandemic under control because it is a global pandemic. And as long as there are large outbreaks happening anywhere, it's putting all of us at risk of having a variant that could end up undermining any solution we have. So we need a global strategy. And and this is one of the crazy things about the isolationist policies of the last administration, this idea of America first. We're not on a different planet. Like we live on the same planet as everybody else. And if we don't get the planet under control, we're not going to be able to keep Americans safe. We got to do this.
0: How can anyone, given what you've kind of laid out, make the case for either of those strategies to be isolationist or to say, look, if we continue abiding, there will be herd immunity. Where is the science for that?
2: Yeah, there is no science behind the herd immunity argument. I mean, it has always been very, very, I think, ideological and has never been a serious argument. The small, small number of scientists who have signed on to that I think have never had any answer to the questions that the scientific community has raised you know i'm always reminded like when when the hiv outbreak began in the 80s there were scientists who were like oh no hiv doesn't cause aids it's something else like there, there was oh you can always find a few stragglers who will hitch their kind of star to some crazy theory that's what this herd immunity thing is and it's not a serious a theory that any scientist I know who I respect actually believes is doable and is a good idea. You know, on the isolationism, the problem with isolation, and actually in some ways it's also similar to the herd immunity, which is it sounds really good as long as you don't think about it. But the moment you think about it, you realize, oh, yeah, that can't work. Okay, an isolationist strategy of keeping Americans safe What are we going to do? Like stop having all global trade, stop Americans from going to any other country or letting anybody else come here. That's not the world we live in. And the moment you start opening up the borders and having travel and you start having trade, viruses are going to start slipping through. That's just the nature of these things. So an isolationist strategy where we vaccinate ourselves and protect ourselves and don't worry about the rest of the world was never going to work. And I don't understand why people have pursued it outside of It sounds right. Like, yeah, let's focus on America first, except it won't work.
0: In response to that idea of America first, you're saying everyone's first. We are all interconnected. And yet my mind can't help but think of the large swaths of people that are disinterested in facts, resistant to policy and science, actively against the vaccine. How have you negotiated those realities as you go about trying to present science and reason to people?
2: Well, I first begin by trying to understand what motivates people and what drives them. And my sense is that even people who might disagree with me on many things are motivated by the same things that I am and many of the same things. You know, On a day-to-day basis, what are the most important things for me? I wanna be safe and healthy myself. I want my spouse and my kids to be healthy and safe. I want my kids back in school. I care about my parents. Like these are the things that are most, uh, same thing for all of us, right? And so I often begin by talking about what do I think are the things that are gonna help my kids get back to school, which they have not been able to. I haven't seen my parents in almost a year. I got my first shot of the Moderna vaccine a week ago. And I talk about that. And I say, look, I can tell you that it's safe and effective but it's not just saying it. I'm, I'm getting it. So I think a lot of this is by trying to personalize it and explain to people that these are not general ideas that I have for what other people should do. These are ideas that I have that I think keep my family safe, and I am sharing it with people because I think that's my best estimate of how to do this. The other part of this is, you know, there are a lot of people in public health who hear the skeptics and get frustrated and call them anti-sciencers or people who are not willing to listen to facts. I'm trying to understand the underlying emotions that people are feeling and trying to understand what is driving it and seeing if I can help address that. Because even most people who are against vaccines, they want to protect themselves and their families. It's not like they don't care about themselves or their families. They're trying to get it right. And I think we've got to, our job is to engage people and to talk to them.
0: Although it hasn't been one year, You have to admit, it has felt like decades at this point.
2: It's felt like forever.
0: As someone who has to engage in this work, how is it wearing on you?
2: Two or three things, I guess, come to mind when you ask me that. One is I am deeply optimistic about the future. And that keeps me going. I can see the finish line. You know, I... I'm not a runner, my my wife and my kids all are. And so we do these family runs, 5Ks, 10Ks, I'm always last. And there are always periods of time during the run where I just feel like I can't go on, my chest is burning, I'm gonna die. But when I can see the finish line, I can finish. And I feel like I can see the finish line. And that is really, really helpful because Last summer, in early fall, I thought the finish line was going to be coming, but I couldn't quite see it in the same way. I feel like I can now see it. That helps a lot. The second thing that helps a lot is a reminder of how much more privilege I have than so many other people, right? Like, I've been able to keep a job. I get paid reasonably well. My family's haven't lost her home. There are these, like, horrible things. I haven't, thankfully, lost a close family member. There are these horrible things people have gone through that I have not, and I feel very, very lucky. So I feel like I have less reasons to complain. And maybe this is the last part, is what's the alternative? I mean, the alternative is we've, we have gone through hell as a country, as a, as a people. And I just feel like the idea that like at this moment I would just sort of quit and say, I can't do this anymore. Just, I don't know, it feels weird. It doesn't mean it's easy. I mean, there are definitely mornings when my alarm goes off. I'm like, I can't do another day of this. But then, what do you do? Like, you drag yourself out of bed, you get in the shower, and you're like, all right, let's get to it.
0: You put on your suit and tie. Exactly. <laughs> so, since we do have to keep going, why don't we unpack the state of the virus? On February 1st, at least 2,000 people died from COVID, and at least 139,830 new cases were reported in the US. Over the past week, There has been an average of 146,486 cases per day, a decrease of 29% from the average two weeks earlier. As of Tuesday afternoon, more than 26 million people have been infected with the virus, according to the New York Times database. And that is just in America. I know you spoke of optimism. Yeah. But what in that report is making you optimistic?
2: Optimism isn't being a Pollyannish kind of like, it's all great. It's not all great. It's awful. It's bad right now. We're losing three to 4,000 Americans every single day. Let's be very clear about where we are. We are in a very, very dark time of the pandemic. Though, we have seen in the last couple of weeks number of infections starting to come down. And we are over the next two months, Sam, there is one of two scenarios of how things play out. The number of infections keep coming down because people have actually been, I think in the last month after the holidays, pretty good about decreasing socializing. People are doing a pretty good job on mask wearing and infections really are coming down. Over the next two months, we keep doing that. Infections come down a lot more. We get a lot of people vaccinated and April, you can feel that we have turned a corner, and May feels good, and June, you're like, whoa, I can see a new normal, and this is feeling all right. And the summer is like a different summer. I mean, in the sense that a summer of 2021 should feel more like the summer of 2019 than the summer of 2020. Is that possible? I think that's entirely possible what I laid out. There is an alternative scenario, the more negative one, and I'll lay it out. And I'll tell you why I think we can beat that. That scenario, we don't move super fast on vaccines. The UK variant, or maybe the South Africa variant, really starts taking off in the United States. Infections start climbing back up. The horribleness that, for instance, LA just went through, which is starting to come out of, starts hitting cities and states across the country. And we get to March, April in horrible, horrible shape with feeling like this That is a possible scenario as well. So what is it going to take to do scenario one? Uh, We all got to be pretty careful the next couple of months. I've been pushing for this idea of we should upgrade our masks and be more careful with mask wearing and and wear better masks. I've been pushing the administration and anybody who's willing to listen to me, states, cities, federal government, to vaccinate like crazy. And I think we have a better than even chance of beating out the variant, getting enough high-risk people vaccinated so that... As the variant does become more prominent, it doesn't overwhelm our hospitals. And I think we have a pretty good chance of getting into April and May with a better situation. And then you don't have to call me anymore to talk coronavirus and maybe we can talk something else. And I don't know, you probably won't call me back after that. But uh, the point is that I think we have a chance to do this. We got to work hard at it. But it's, it's a two-month game at this point.
0: You know I'll call you back. <laughs> we can talk about anything else, I would love that there's been a sort of promise of a beer at some point point, yeah. and uh <laughs> by the way people have asked me so when are you guys gonna get a beer yeah this is this is like a routine thing people who listen to the show they like this idea you know what i think yeah i think they like the idea of you and i getting a beer because it means they can go yeah get a beer yeah <laughs> but for now since we are here in this moment, I have to ask you, what are the best practices for wearing masks in this moment?
2: Yeah, a little bit of confusion here, too. So I'm going to I'm gonna tell you what I do and what I have started doing over the last month and what I am now having my family do and, and what I'm recommending to my friends. But let's start with what I do. When I'm out and about, let's say I go for a friend of mine calls me, says, let's go for a walk. I just put on any old mask. It's fine. A cloth mask is fine. Those neck gaiters don't do anything, but a good cloth mask, a surgical mask, one of those blue masks you can get, it's all good. It's an outside walk, no problem. If I'm going to a higher risk situation, so what's a higher risk situation? These days, I don't do that much high risk stuff. But if I did, then the main thing I do was I'll go to a grocery store. Believe it or not, grocery stores can be somewhat higher risk. A lot of people there, I will upgrade my mask. So what does that mean, upgrade my mask? there are two or three different options and let me lay them all out for you. So in the ideal world, we would all have N95 masks. Okay. These are the super high quality masks that doctors and nurses wear. They have to be well fitted and we should have made billions of these masks last year. So everybody would have them. And if we all had them and wore them, we would basically bring this pandemic to an end, but we don't. And N95s you can get them, but mostly I don't try because they're for I think for doctors and nurses on the front lines. So I get something that's really close to an N95, which is a KF-94. KF-94 are these masks made in South Korea. They're really good masks. You don't have to go to South Korea to get them, Amazon, lots of other online retailers have them. They're about a buck and a half per mask. There's a bunch of different brands. They're all pretty good. I have no vested stake in any of them. And so I have been recommending KF-94s, the key is when you get one make sure it's a pretty good fit. It's got to cover your nose, got to cover your chin and that there shouldn't be a lot of air leaking around it. KF94s are good masks. If you have one with a good fit, that's a big upgrade on your mask. If you don't have one, can't find one, not a good fit, then you can think about a double mask. The thing about double masks, people are like, my God, do I have to wear two masks? It's not a big deal. Uh, I'll tell you, there are two ways of doing double masks. What I've been mostly doing, take that surgical mask, the blue surgical mask, put it on, and then take any old regular cloth mask and put it on top of that. And I would say to people, try it at home. You'll figure out it's actually not that hard to breathe in. And that double mask, what it will do is it'll create a better fit, better filtration. And I think for things like going to a grocery store, indoor retail, it's just better, it's safer. In the context of these very, very contagious variants, that's what I would do. So I either wear a KF94 or I double mask when I go to a grocery store.
0: What about reusing your mask? Is there a system that you have? Do you put them in the wash? Do you avoid wearing the same one two days in a row? What do you recommend?
2: Yeah, the KF ninety fours you can't wash them, so I don't do anything that requires me to be wearing them all day. And I, because just I'm in my office by myself, I'm not wearing a mask. So I will wear them for like half an hour, an hour, a few times I'd say during a day if I'm running around, and I'll just let it kind of dry in between and i can make them last a few days and that means i might be going through two or three of these masks a week uh, not super cheap but not super expensive right spending 5 bucks a week or 6 bucks a week on, on masks it's not it's not great but it's, not, it's fine and the key is just to let them dry out in between and so you might like have two or three open at a time and just kind of re- go through them every couple of days and then after you've done it a few days you'll you can toss them That's a pretty, you can't wash those things. So that's the the big thing about KF94s.
0: Let's move to vaccinations for a second. I know there are different policies for different cities, but they've largely been made available to those over 65. However, I know some people, frontline workers, teachers,
4: with more travel rewards, a hotel upgrade, lounge access, wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply.
3: Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first place winner in the industry category at last year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event that celebrates customers Who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston Children's Story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized for smart disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com/ slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month only much, much better. Just go to Muzora.com, Musora.com M-U-S-O-R-A dot com to start a new musical journey today.
0: Etc. that have had a difficult time procuring their vaccine. What are your observations about the rollout thus far?
2: Slowly getting better is probably the way to describe it. The rollout was super, super slow over December and January, really unfortunately so. And I've been spending a lot of time talking to state officials, and I will tell you that the thing that's killing the rollout, that's making the rollout go so slow in some states, is complexity. A lot of states put a lot of time and effort into trying to create a really elegant rollout plan. You know, who goes first, who goes second, who goes third, how do you know? A lot of them are really well thought through and really hard to implement, and states are struggling. Whereas states that have taken a super simple approach are doing generally much better on getting vaccines out. And so I have come to conclude that simplicity is king at this point, that we gotta just make this super simple. And if you begin by saying that we know that the people who get sick, the people who really get into trouble, anybody can get sick, but the people who really get into trouble are older people. And the Biden team has basically come out on this too, says everybody over 65, should be our first group just start getting people over 65 vaccinated so then people worry about issues of equity and how will we make sure that the communities that have been hit the hardest end up getting vaccinated and i have argued that achieve equity through implementation meaning set up vaccine sites in communities of color set up vaccine sites in places where people who are at high risk will get vaccinated and their lives will be easier. You know, We've screwed up equity on this pandemic so much. And part of it's like, I remember testing. We set up all these testing sites in these nice suburban neighborhoods where it was the neighborhoods with multi-generational households, people of color, essential workers that were getting crushed by the pandemic and there were no testing sites there. Let's not do that. Let's do the opposite of that. Let's actually target vaccinations in places where there are a lot of high risk people. But keep it super simple has been the the thing. And that'll help us move vaccines faster. And then in terms of new vaccines, so right now we have Pfizer and Moderna, which are both fabulous vaccines. Today we heard data about Johnson & Johnson. Look, we've got a press release. We need a lot more information. Headline number was, you know, 66% effective, not as uh, high as Moderna and Pfizer. But if you dig underneath the headline number, the news is really good. Basically what they found was that after 28 days, nobody who got a vaccine, or almost nobody who got a vaccine, got really sick. They didn't get hospitalized, no one died. So Johnson & Johnson may not prevent infections at quite the same rate, but it's gonna prevent you from getting super sick and dying. That sounds really good. So I think Johnson & Johnson will end up being a really important addition to our toolbox Novavax is another vaccine where I expect to see more data in the next few weeks and an authorization by mid to late February if things go well. I think that's going to be good news. This is one of the reasons why I think the next couple of months are going to be hard. But by the time we get into April, May, June, we're going to have more vaccines than people.
0: And what do you make of, again, The Times reporting that this variant may blunt the effectiveness of COVID vaccines made by Pfizer Pfizer? Moderna and Novavax. Does that concern you?
2: This is this is I, I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't a little bit concerned about this. My best reading of the literature is that the vaccines are still going to work against the South Africa variant, but it won't work as well. Maybe more people will get infected. The thing I'm looking for, and I just don't have the data right now, Sam, is if you're vaccinated with, with Moderna and Pfizer or Novavax or Johnson & Johnson, and you get infected or you get exposed to the South Africa variant, are you gonna be more likely to get infected? Maybe. Are you more likely to get sick and die? I think the answer is no. I think the answer is it'll still protect you from getting super sick and dying, but don't know for sure. My sense is we'll know more in the next few weeks.
0: You know, on a larger scale, what have you and your frontline colleagues made of this transition from the Trump-Pence administration to the Biden-Harris administration?
2: It's been remarkable. And, and I want to take a minute to actually explain it. There has been a set of rules of the road of the federal government. And the rules of the road were always, if you had a Republican president, then they tended to put in people who were conservative, but good at what they did. So smart, reasonable people who were conservative and if you had a Democratic president, you tended to put in smart, good people who were liberals. And competence at the highest levels in these key positions we always had really competent people and you know and I could disagree philosophically right so I remember there were times during the Bush administration on policy stuff where the person running you know whatever policy was really smart and effective, but I disagreed on their worldview. And I thought we should do it something different. And then that came up in the Obama administration. There were were times when they would put in policies and I'd say, I get why you're doing that, but I don't agree. And here's my thinking. The Trump administration, especially in the last two years, was unlike anything I've experienced in my life. Because without being too harsh, most of the people running the response, they were not A players. They were not competent. They just got basic stuff wrong. And so it wasn't even like I disagreed with their strategy. It was like dealing with a bunch of amateurs who didn't understand the basics. So like there's almost no basis for disagreement because like, you know, if you and I are going to disagree on something, we first got to get on the same page on facts. But, you know, like if if you're walking around saying the sky is green, I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to debate that with you. Like we got to. So it's been weird and wonderful to have like watch who the Biden team has put in. I'm like, oh my God, all these people know what they're doing. Like they're actually competent in their job. And I can have minor disagreements here or there, but that's a different thing than to have the people running these major agencies who are, again, without being too harsh, pretty clueless. That's where we were before. I have to say it's thrilling, it's great. I find, okay, now I can have an intellectual disagreement with them. Now I can debate them on policy. I'm not afraid of, like, being critical of the Biden team. I'm not afraid of, I'm not a deeply partisan person. If I think they're doing something wrong, I'll say it. But it's going to come from a totally different place, because I know on the other side is somebody who's smart, competent, caring, and they may get something wrong. And I'll, I'll be happy to point that out.
0: I'm certain at some point in the last two weeks, you have thought about what this would have looked like if, let's say, Hillary Clinton would have won the presidency?
2: I've said multiple times that if it had been a Romney administration, a McCain administration, a Bush administration, uh, managing this pandemic, it would have looked totally different. And it would have looked much, much, much better. Because wherever your politics are, most people in America believe that in a crisis, you need the government to play an effective role. But the problem here was Donald Trump was particularly ill-suited for a complex problem like this. And he had surrounded himself with people who weren't willing to push back and say, these policies are going to kill hundreds of thousands of Americans. And so they went along to go along, I guess. I firmly believe this is not a Democratic or Republican thing. I firmly believe that we happened as a country to have a leader at this very difficult time who did not know how to manage this, could not wrap his brain around this, and couldn't muster the powers of the federal government. Let's imagine it had been a Mitt Romney or that had won the 2016 presidency. I think the pandemic would have been under largely under good control. There'd be some issues, but we probably would have lost way less than half of the people we did. And I don't think we'd be shut down in many ways that we are in many places. Life would have felt very, very different. I think all the kids would be back in school. Just would have been different. I don't spend too much time on it because I just get angry and frustrated. Everything that we're going through was predicted because it's an infectious disease. We know how this stuff works. Not everything, but we know a lot of it. But um, it is nice to have a president and a leadership team around him who actually gets the basics.
0: At the beginning of this conversation, you mentioned that. You hadn't seen your parents in about a year. I think the larger philosophical question and quandary we're all grappling with right now is that the thing we've lost is something that cannot be returned to normal. It cannot be retrieved. And that is time. When you're going out and doing the work you're doing, I wondered if that existential question about time lost is that part of what keeps you moving forward
2: yeah I just want this all to be over I just want this to be over I want to see my family I want to see my parents I want to see some friends I haven't seen I want to give people hugs people who want hugs I'm not I'm not, I'm not an excessive hugger but, but but I have a group of people. <laughs> I haven't done that in a year and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of not doing it. And as I said, I can see the finish line and I'm exhausted just the way everybody else is exhausted. And I feel like I want to run faster because I want to just get to the finish line because we're not, we're not going to get this time back. And the more quickly we can get to the finish line, the more quickly we can bring this to an
0: end and, start doing the things that we we care about so much. What does that finish line look like to you?
2: So I'll tell you what it does not look like. It's not life in 2019. We're not getting that anytime soon. And the questions I've asked myself are, well, what about my life in 2019 do I miss that I really care about? So number one is being able to see people and hug my parents and that kind of stuff. I think I can get that back. They got to get vaccinated. I got to finish my vaccine thing over the summer. And I think even before then. Being able to see friends, being able to spend time with people. There are certain things I really enjoyed. You know, uh, last few years, my wife and I and our kids, we would go down to New York, spend a weekend and try to go to a, a show. I don't know when shows are going to be so easy to do in the in the future. I think maybe by fall or winter, but it's going to be hard, right? Because you're packing a lot of people into an indoor space. That's going to be harder. So there's still things that, like, we're going to have a hard time doing. What do we do with friends who don't want to get vaccinated? Like, I would be very comfortable by late spring having a bunch of friends over for dinner at my house if they've all been vaccinated. But what do I do with a friend that I love who says I'm not getting a vaccine? I'm going to struggle with, like, inviting them. So a lot of things like that are not going to be normal, but I'm not looking for normal. I'm looking for thinks I really value being able to be done again because I miss them so much.
0: When you express these kind of hopes and aspirations and you make these predictions amongst your colleagues, do they agree with you?
2: They do think I'm being a little optimistic. And then I say, do you think I'm wrong? And they say, no, you're probably right. But we don't want to give people false hope. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not worried about false hope. I'd be worried about it if I didn't think these things were going to happen and I was just making it up. That would be wrong. And I'm not saying there's a 110% chance it's definitely going to happen and you can bank on it. But I'm saying this is my best guess and I've thought a lot about it and I feel pretty confident. And I actually think people need hope right now. I don't think saying to them, we're not 100% sure it could be for years. It's not going to be for years. Let's just be honest. So I think people think I'm too willing to say what I think. And I feel like it's the only way I know how to get through this.
0: Well, I thank you for your researched, disciplined hope, at least for now. God bless you for doing all that you have done and for coming on the show. I guess a 90th time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, I always love talking to you and I love these conversations because uh, they make me think, they make me reflect and do my job better. And also I just really enjoy them. So thank you for all of that. And I meant it when I said we will have a beer and I do believe it'll be this summer. And I think there's a reasonable chance I'm gonna come out to LA this summer and I'm gonna track you down, Sam, and we're gonna go have a beer and we'll celebrate what will feel like the end of this pandemic.
0: You got my number. Dr. Ja, thank you very much. Thank you. Our show. Special thanks this week to the team at Brown University. I'd also like to thank the inimitable Dr. Ashish Shah. To learn more about him and his work, be sure to visit our site at www.talkeasypod.com. If you're new to the show and would like to hear more, I recommend our past conversations with folks like Dolores Huerta, Betta O'Rourke, Representative Ilhan Omar, Dr. Cornel West, Ted Danson, Holland Taylor, and Noam Chomsky. If you'd like to join our mailing list, drop us a line at talkeasypod at gmail.com. You can listen and subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you do your listening. If you do happen to listen on Apple, the best thing you could do for us, aside from sharing the show with a friend, is to give us a review on iTunes. It's easy. It takes five seconds, and it is the best way for new listeners to find this show. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TalkEasyPod. And as always, this show is made possible each week by our incredible team. Our executive producer is Janixa Bravo. Illustrations by Krishna Shenoy. Our associate producer is Nikki Spina. Our lead editor is Andre Lynn. Our managing editor is David Harding. Our assistant editors are Joshua Siegel and Kevin Kaur. Music by Dylan Peck. Our interns are Patrice Lee, Claire Hardwick, and Grace Perkins. Video and graphics by Derek Gaberzak, Ethan Seneca, and Orion Huang. And the show is produced by Caroline Reebok. I'm Sam Fragoso. In the background is my dog, Delizia Snoring. We thank you for listening to Talk Easy. We'll be back Sunday with author George Saunders. Until then, stay safe and so long.
3: Enter now at tmobile.com slash slash awards. See you there.
1: Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Spentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids, Bob Kids, Megan Trainer, Fistle Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th.